Well, as I uh, cruise across country, I'm entering Batavia, New York, all the way from Fayetteville, Arkansas, down in the hog country. We are interviewing today Ty Muse, CEO <laughs> of Visions Federal Credit Union. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready whenever you guys are. All right, Ty. Tyler, are you ready? <laughs> Oh, I guess so, man. Let's do it. All right, let's have some fun, <laughs> fellas. I'm out. Tyler, who are we taking a time out with today? Oh, well, thank you, Kevin. Well, as I uh, cruise across country, I'm entering Batavia, New York, all the way from Fayetteville, Arkansas, down in the hog country. We are interviewing today Ty Muse, CEO <laughs> of Visions Federal Credit Union. And Ty, I'm coming up from the filthy, dirty South right now. And I was—I heard you on a podcast today. What part of the South are you from originally? Yeah, I'm originally from North Carolina. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys know uh, a little place called uh, Chapel Hill or uh, Duke or <laughs> in Durham, Raleigh, North Carolina. Oddly enough, growing up here, I was not a Duke fan, though. I was definitely not a Duke fan. But uh, it is funny uh, when you think about what is the South these days. I wouldn't throw Fanville out there unless you're talking about Fayetteville, North Carolina, the original Fayetteville. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I remember back in 94 when we had to take those Duke Blue Devils down. Uh, my Nolan Richardson Razorbacks uh, tore up Grant Hill, Cherokee Park, San Antonio Lang and all that. But uh, yep. glory days right there. Yes, I will tell you, I was actually rooting for him too, man. Uh, I mean, I think at the time he might have been the first African-American head coach to win. Right. So I remember it was like really big news at the time. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, I'm a Kentucky fan. So I hate Duke, the Christian Leitner base. Uh, that's obvious. Um, but uh, I got to ask, cause I know a personal relationship that you have with Jay Williams. Yeah. How, how, how does a Duke hating uh, Chapel Hill resident become good friends with Jay Williams? You know, it's funny, and, and you're going to laugh. I'll throw in one more uh, little curveball. I'm also uh, John Calipari as well. I go and play his basketball camp as well in, in the summers, and um, and it's, it's hard to root for them too. But <laughs> basically, as long as it has blue, I just try in my head to imagine it's a different color of blue, and I go away with it. Now, being raised in the Northeast after moving from the South, I'm, I'm a Syracuse fan through and through, if I'm being 100% honest. Okay. Um, but with that said, yeah, I didn't really bring it up in the beginning. It was just more, um, you know, we're, I was playing basketball at a, my hem, uh, a, a basketball camp. We call them, I call them fat guy camps, but <laughs> they're, for like, they're for older guys with a little bit of money who still want to play basketball and uh, hang out with celebrities. And um, I was at Dwayne Wade's camp, and that's where I got to meet Dwayne Wade and his family um, down in Miami. And this was just right after LeBron left. And while playing, and you can't make this up, um, Jamie Foxx, uh, the actor, singer, Oscar award winner is guarding me. Um, I'm on a break. I pull up on a jump shot and I tear my Achilles. It literally pops right there. I land. I'm on the ground. He kicks me. He goes, get up. You know, you're faking. He goes, you're just mad that you missed the shot. I go, no, I think I'm hurt. And uh, Jay Will was uh, our, he was our commissioner of our league. And so it's funny how like when something bad happens, all you think about is like all the bad stuff. But it became like a differential. I was always, I was that guy that everyone's like, oh, he's the guy who got hurt. Or, you know, oh, he's the guy, you know, who's like, you know, messing around with Jamie Foxx. Or, but after that, you know, Jay kept reaching out to me just to see how I was doing, you know. And um, over that time, you know, he finally kind of cracks the shell. And he's like, you don't realize it, but you're probably depressed. You know, like, 
you're just sitting here thinking about this great time. You go out there, you're starting to realize you're getting older. You can't do what you want to do. Um, and I started telling him like, you know, about all this. And then at the end, like he's really quiet. And I'm like, oh yeah, like I forgot, like his career was ended on yeah. a freak thing on a motorcycle. And I'm thinking, wow, like I'm over complaining about a little Achilles tendon. This guy's recalibrated his whole life to be amazingly successful. They still remain relevant. And uh, me, this little weekend warrior gets hurt, winds up with the best story of all time that Jamie Foxx is guarding me when I take this shot. And by the way, Jamie Foxx, appreciate this he went on to win the tournament which i'm pretty sure we would have won if i didn't get hurt um not because of me but because of me um i, I think uh we would have had an opportunity so ultimately that kind of camaraderie just the fact that this guy for no financial reason kept reaching out to check in up on me and then we started talking about his life and what he wanted to do i was talking about what i'm trying to do and there were so many connectors we said you know what if we just work together for two years you know helping each other you know me providing you collateral and you providing awareness, because if Jay says the same thing I would say, people would listen, you know, um, kids would listen when he tells his story, because he has an amazing story. And uh, oddly enough, he, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough that I have his book behind me that he autographed and everything. So uh, I guess what's really cool about him now, like, you know, it'll be like every other year or so or year, he'll pop in through each other's lives through mutual passings, where uh, one of my friends will send him a message, or he'll send me a message, or out the blue, he'll check in on a business opportunity. So um, I'm super proud of the guy. Look what he's doing. Yeah. He's doing amazing things, you know? And he had this all written out. I mean, I, it's hard to believe that's almost what, six, seven years ago, but we were talking about what he wanted to do um, and getting beyond basketball. And he's really on his way. Wow. He's a New Jersey say, guy you know, too. He was one of the guys, he was one of the guys who made being smart kind of cool. Right. I mean, I remember like that, yeah. that ESPN magazine back when there were magazines, and it was yeah. all about him and his GPA at Duke, kids looking up to him yeah. in the classroom. Yeah. And then the podcast I just heard you on, Ty, you were the same kind of way, it sounded like. Uh -oh. um, you know, yeah, you, I used you to hide that. Behind yeah. the laughter. But, like, who, who inspired you to be, like, the cool guy and the freaking smart dude all at the same time and to make it cool? You know, they, I appreciate that. My kids would probably disagree with the cool factor. <laughs> but, um, you know, so one of the things I've been doing in COVID, like um, – I, I had, I'm just the person who just winds up meeting people. Um, and, you know, Kobe Bryant was always one of those people I wanted to meet. And uh, right after his passing, I just happened to be flying to LA and I didn't get to meet him, obviously. And um, I had made a decision. I was going to go out my way to try to meet all my idols. Um, and so for me, it was Dr. J. Like Dr. J was that first dude that was like amazing athlete, but we thought he was really smart. Um, because he was, well, he was a doctor, right? <laughs> you know, at the time, I realized that he wasn't a real doctor. Um, and learning how he got his name, nickname, but I thought he was an actual doctor. Um, so I actually reached out to him and I uh, scheduled, uh, he let me record it and I got to share it with my staff. And it was like, you know, all kind of like his points on leadership because he actually got his degree in leadership. And I think he was surprised I knew that. Um, I knew a lot about him. We, he let me kind of interview him for about an hour um, we kind of cut it down for an internal podcast for my staff that they were using. Um, and he just kind of talked about the things he thought were important in life and, um, and how to be, how to lead and, and when to lead um, and when to listen. And I think for me, that was the moment when I just saw this dude as cool as can be, the big fro, the fur jackets, um, the swag, and he, and he was smart too. Like I could be that guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, I want to be that guy, you know, I don't want to be, you know, the, the, the other version of a dumb jock, right? 
Um, but I definitely hit it most of uh, the 80s when I was growing up. Like, you know, it wasn't cool to be smart back then um, until Will Smith came along and, and others. But it was not cool growing up in Newburgh, New York, being the smart kids. So. <laughs> so you you talk about, uh, I, th- I know you're a bit of a history buff. And, and, and yeah. we, we, we kind of look at um, individuals' lives um, after they've passed, right? And, and yeah. kind of judge them on their legacy. Um, you kind of went through your own transition or evolution yourself, as you talked about in that podcast. And you talked about your initial dream of, of Ty was to own your own bodega. And now here yep. you are sitting as the CEO of, I always say is one of the staples of, of what a true culture can be for, for an organization and how that can fuel them forward. I, I always use you as that shiny um, toy, if you will, in, in, in Southern New York. Um, I'm from Elmira originally, and that's something that's kind of um, unique or different in the Southern tier because it was only the employers that were there. Employees were lucky to be working for these employers. In your own evolution, right, when it was Bodega Small Dreams and now you're the CEO, what, how, did you, how did you talk yourself or how did you find yourself through that own evolution of your, your individual um, ideas? It's funny, you know, I don't know if you guys are fans of comedians, but, uh, you know, Kevin Hart is obviously the biggest one right now. But before Kevin Hart was a guy named Cat Williams, and you both love you know, Cat on Williams. The cusp of growing up that you should have enough videos of him. And I'm a huge Cat Williams fan. Um, and he's also my, my uh, list of people I'm hoping to meet one day um, and sit down and chop it up with. But um, Cat Williams said, you know, you had to be your own number one fan. You have to be your fan of yourself first, right? Mm-hmm. And um, my parents just lied to me as a young man. They just told me I could be anything I wanted to be. And I thought they were telling the truth. And I just literally thought like, oh, my, you know, my mom and dad said I could be anything I wanted to be. So why not? Um, not realizing all the barriers that were there because they didn't really focus on that. You know, it's funny how focus is. If you focus on what you can't do, you nine times out of 10, you wind up circling back down the toilet bowl to the things you can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you focus on the things you can do and find a way to get paid at doing what you can do and what you do well, um, then everything else seems to be really, really easy. I, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about things I can't control. Um, I, I, I don't really spend a lot of time uh, worry about things that we're like either can't control or just are beyond my ability. I just focus on the things I have the ability to impact and I start working there. Um, and then in the day, if you just try to do good, it seems to always work out to be the right spot you're supposed to be in, you know? Um, we did this thing literally on the back of a napkin. A buddy of mine just texted me while I was on vacation last week in Hawaii. And he said, uh, hey, I just wanna let you know, um, we're getting interviewed over this thing we created uh, called Luma here in in downtown Binghamton. And it literally happened by him just sitting there across from me with a a napkin of just writing down different ideas. Like, you know, I told him, share some ideas of things you're working on. And he named one. I was like, yeah, now tell me the one you didn't really want to tell me because you thought there's no way I would support it. And he pulled out this thing. And I don't even know if it was called Luma. It might've been called Lumens or something back then. And um, and now it's so crazy that 50,000 people come to the city every year to see this light show where we project up on these buildings. I'm just so proud of him and his partner, Tice, and the whole community that came together. It has nothing to do with Ty. It has nothing to do with anything. I don't know anything about lumens. I don't know anything about projections. I know very little about art at the time. I don't even think I knew a lot about Binghamton. I've only been here a couple of years. But I did know that I thought of some cool stuff that I wanted to see. 
Mm-hmm. And so let's just try to do something that's kind of cool or good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it makes your life really simple when you focus on that, you know, and just trying to do good things. And, um, you know, there's a book called The One Thing that I, I kind of always go back to that you all, everyone around you just try to do one good thing. That would be thousands and thousands of good things. And the cumulative impact of that would be a tsunami of positivity around this world. So as I run my company, I think the same thing. I don't need to come up with all the ideas. If I can come up with one and the other 730 some odd people can come up with one, mm-hmm. we can definitely continue to be the best organization in this other tier. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I know, I know too, is uh, you mentioned sports, right? Um, sports and yeah. business. How many parallels do you find? Because you, you mentioned you're six foot four. Um, so basketball is pretty, pretty much what, what everybody else said. Well, Ty's future is, is basketball. But then then you had a 50-inch vertical and found yourself pretty damn good at track too. Yeah. Um, but it can be that can almost be a dream that a lot of people chase for almost too long, right? When did you decide or what, I guess, parallels have you found in sports and business? Oh, I... I... <laughs> They're, I feel like they're the same. Um, one, and there's there's nothing like winning. <laughs> you know, I, I can't explain how much I love winning in all things. Um, and but I did learn and realize I love winning in a team environment more. Does that make sense? Yeah. You ever guys go? You ever you guys ever go to a casino and play on a craft table? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys like crafts? So like you can go to a casino and pull whatever and win once. It kind of feels cool. But there's have you ever noticed where all the noise comes in a casino? Yeah, the craft crap? table because it's a, a little team teamwork. <laughs> yeah, you're all playing, and there's always the one guy who comes and bets against the table. Yeah, he becomes the enemy at table. You know, and but it's, it's the same way. You know, there's that is what I look at. Like when I'm at my company, it, it is like this this momentum of winning together. Um, and then, then the credit union world is even, even more special because you're working for your membership. So when we win, they win, they win, we win. It's symbiotic that way. Mm-hmm. But sports taught me the most about, man, you know, as much as you learn about winning, you learn about losing. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I often wonder in this kind of world that we're kind of migrating to of participation, you know, it's good to participate, but when you run into a real bully, or you run into some real competition, will participating be enough? Mm-hmm. You know, you need to build this strategy to how to win. I mean, ultimately, isn't that really what a strategy is? I mean, if you're working on a strategy and it's the same as everyone else's strategy, you're not making a game plan to win. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, your game plan to win is the strategy. And um, there's something fulfilling about having a plan and going out there and executing. Um, there's also when you lose to someone who's better. Um, I'm, I'm one of those guys that, um, I would rather go out and lose to Michael Jordan than go out and beat a five-year-old every day, you know, like, so <laughs> it's, it's not about making 10 layups in a row. It's about making that one half court shot after you miss nine and you make the one and you celebrate, like, it's like, you know, um, you know, sports are another thing. It's just the practice behavior too. Like what I loved about basketball, I loved about track um, is that when you're putting in that work, and you start seeing it pay off that moment or in basketball it would be the dunk. You know, I went up to, uh, I remember just trying to dunk like all summer and you guys, I don't know if you've ever got there. Or finally I can, t- I can just touch the rim, Ty. No, don't get excited. Okay. <laughs> this white boy cannot so, jump. <laughs> so it's 11th, 11th grade. Well, you got in 11th grade, Ty? 
Tyler, God, you know, the that? whole neighborhood knew about it. Tyler. <laughs> yeah. That that moment, that's the moment I'm talking about. It's that it is it's after you got hung on the rim like 50 times, you know, your fingers, you got the metal in it. But that moment, and it's like the best moment. You know, you're not even playing against anyone. It's just the part of the sport to finally accomplish this kind of unachievable, this rare air above the rim type of group of guys. Um, I went up to a basketball camp. I went. To, I was. Uh, I was going to the Syracuse basketball camp. Um, I was 13 years old. I started dunking at 13, and um, they they kind of put you by age groups, right? And so I was in the younger age group. And the very first play, I I uh, I got I won the tip. The guy gave it back to me. I took two dribbles and I dunked it. Um, later that night, I hear a knock at my door. Um, and I'm like, who is it? And he says, uh, son is coach. And I'm just like, well, whoever, I don't believe it. And I kept back flipping off a bed or something stupid. Um, they knocked again. They go, and I opened the door. Who the hell is it? And it's actually Jimmy Beheim. And, oh, and his my God. Bernie. And he goes, uh, looks like we talked about you and the group and the camp. Um, we think it's a little bit unfair. Your size, you, you would learn more by moving you up. So they moved me up to the older group. Um, so the next day, I win the tip again, the guy passes it back to me. I dunk on everyone on the other side. Like literally they're all collapsing in. It was a two-hand dunk. And coaches there along with all the other coaches and I walk by them. Like I literally, like this is how crazy arrogant I was back then. I literally, I don't run by them. I walk by them. I go, hey coach, is there an older age group than this? <laughs> you know? so, so it's a little bit about the trash talking. It's a little bit about the swagger, but ultimately what it really builds is confidence. Mm -hmm. The work builds confidence, just like at work, you know, the, the working through COVID, the working as your team collectively, the working through the tough times and now winning and we're having a record year, all that stuff just builds confidence. And, um, and that's all sports is. I mean, I watch my youngest daughter, who's probably, you know, the best athlete of us all. Um, she probably could have go she probably could go D1 in basketball or track if she so chose. I think she'll probably pick to go to a better school maybe than um, in a lower division of basketball. But when I watch her, I see the difference is, is just confidence. Like if she had more confidence in her day in, day out activity, I, I don't see how anyone can physically stop her. I mean, she could touch the rim. I mean, she's, she's athletic. Um, and she has a good skill set and, you know, but it's about the confidence, but sports are amazing in regards to teamwork and rooting for your team. Um, I've been more excited sitting on the bench and seeing someone who wasn't normally playing score their first basket. Mm -hmm. um, those are the things that sports give you um, that no other sport can. And then just being a fanatic. I mean, I know how you guys feel about your teams, but, that moment and you know that moment is just like the best moment when you finally succeed or win or get to the mountaintop mm -hmm. um you know like you said those Razorbacks like that moment had to be I remember being in Boston when uh, I think Boston College made the final four in basketball but it was on a game-winning shot and I just remember the entire city of Boston yell I mean I've never heard anything like that like you heard the whole city roar and cheer I go, man, that's what I want. Like, that's the feeling I want every day. Um, I have lunch with uh, the new hires every, every when our, we spring in new hires every two weeks. And I just came from a lunch with them. And it's just that moment when you look across the table and you're just thinking, man, I just, I just feel like I just signed Shaq 
and Kobe and all the best players on my team right now. I feel like I'm the Lakers right now. I got Antonio Davis. I got Carmelo Anthony. I got LeBron. I got everyone on my squad right now. That's what you want to feel like every day when you walk in, you see your new hires jumping onto your team. And, and that's what we're kind of building here. This is awesome, Ty. I oh, really man. thank you for doing this with us. You're getting me all fired up in this Petco parking lot. Here. <laughs> um, well, you, you, you keep mentioning confidence. Um, you yeah. know, I used to love re rooting for the thundering third, too, when the third yeah. juniors got in and the guy scored the bucket that, you know, just you wear his butt out all day, all year in practice. But uh, yeah. I wanted to ask you two questions. Um, yeah. How do you build, how do you work on building that confidence? And for two, what was the biggest whooping you ever took in sports? Who was the guy who worked you all day long that you yeah. really learned a little humility from? Yeah, I'll give you both. Yeah. So <laughs> the first thing is you got to focus on what you're good at, right? Seriously. You know, if you grow up in New York, it's all about handle dribbling, getting to the lane. But when you go out like Baltimore, you got the Chicago, it's about the jump shot and other skill sets. So don't try to be something else or someone else. Like, you know, um, I think one of the first mistakes I watch people do, especially when they become CEOs, they start trying to be this other person in this other role. Um, you, you got to the job for a reason. You're good at certain things for a reason. You're bad at certain things for a reason. So stick with what you're good at. So that's the first thing, you know, when it came to confidence as a leader, I just kept doing what I'm really good at. And what I'm really good at is with people. I love being around people. I get energy from people. Um, I love developing people. I love coaching people. There's, there's literally people who just fly in right now and hang out at my house for the weekend or the week. And then they come up and they shadow me at work. And um, it, it has very little, they, they didn't work for me. They, they just know my brand. They know what I'm carrying around the room. But nine times out of 10, when I walk in the room, you can sense that whatever that is, that confidence in self. Um, I think I just realized pretty young and pretty quickly, no one can be better at me than me, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just gonna stick with that, right? This is the car that got me here. I'm going to keep riding until the wheels come off on this bad boy. And I'm just going to keep rolling with that, you know, until I get through it. Um, but whoopings, I'll, I'll give you a couple whoopings and, and um, I'll give you work and I'll give you sports. So the, the first one, I would say, there's two guys who always get, gave it to me, gave me the business. And I don't know why. Neither of them are better than me, but they just have my number. And one's this guy named Jeff Woods who loved to hear this podcast later. <laughs> Field. you know he, he's that guy you know. hey jeff we're coming for you no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's that guy who uh he's a year older than me you know he, he he was getting me a scholarship to go up to uri with him he was at uri and wanted me to come up there but i didn't want to go there because i was always second to him and i'm no one better than him but he just always beats me and uh jeff uh he's also that guy that at, you know when i turned 50 or maybe when i turned 49 uh like the day after, he sent me a picture of him on the podium in first and me in second. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, man, driving yeah. that point home. Yeah, well, he, he, didn't say, he didn't say anything in the comment. He just sent it to me. Hey, I found this great picture of us, you know. So he always had my number. Um, and I think my wife would probably say it was just mental. He had me beat before I got there. Uh, another guy was a guy named Jimmy Rogers. We played the same team. He was six foot seven. Um, he went D3. I got D2 and D1 offers, but he just, I don't know, he just in basketball just gave me the business. He was bigger, longer, stronger, um, and just regularly gave me the business when we played. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's just funny how that is. But for me, it was work. I was, uh, and work-wise, the, the, the moment for me, I was um, working at Price Coopers. I was in Boston. 
Um, this guy, my he was my supervisor named Dan, um, came in and he was just talking to me. And uh, after a while, he was kind of just talking to me about confidence, ego, id, and um, any any strength overplayed becomes a weakness. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. uh, so if you're confident, if it gets overplayed, you become you can seem cocky, right? Yeah. And he was just trying to tell me in general, like, uh, we have a big personality, you have big everything. Um, if you could find a way to use that to your advantage and, you know, you're, you're a really funny guy, you can find a way to leverage that in a manner that makes everyone laugh with you versus you're laughing at someone, um, you know, and, and maybe change the focus of that conversation mm-hmm. um, to be like, you're the end of that joke every time, even if they were really the end of the joke, always flip it. And at the time, you know, I was kind of like, man, this guy's just hating on me. Like, you know, like, we could tell him to be like, I, I grew up with Muhammad Ali. I'm the greatest, you know, and he was trying to tell me to kind of be something different. Um, but as I kind of moved up the company, I kept following him. I started realizing what he was saying was like, look, you already won the game. There's no reason to kind of yell about the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Goes, but what you can do is help others cross the finish line, too. Like if you're in the Boston Marathon, the people who come through the finish line at the end way later are the people people are clapping for the loudest and the hardest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about necessarily that awesome Kenyan who winds up winning the race every year, but it winds up to be that connectivity of the effort and celebrating the effort and celebrating how everyone's contributing. Um, And so for me, that was humbling, you know, to go from like, or like I knew I was the man to to going, all right, but you're not the man unless you're making everyone else better. and that became a really big thing for me. But in the beginning, it, like it definitely hurt my stride and pride a little bit that, you know, I've been the captain of every team I've been on. I've always thought I've been a great leader, but to kind of hear someone who's kind of questioning that leadership fault, he's like, you know, it was like, he's really kind of focusing on that one area of fault to say, you're not winning unless everyone's winning, yeah. always. And that was like my aha moment. I was probably 21, 22. I was, you know, still in Similac basically. And, <laughs> um, and it just meant the world to me and I, I you know someone else had just recently asked me about that moment and, and that was my moment you know that none of this means anything if I can't help everyone else with and that's when it became more fun but it goes back to that team sport thing you know when track and field you win your own individual event and I won many of them but nothing was sweeter than when we won our conference championships at, at university or in high school so um, that's where it's at that's and you 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 touched on like um almost like uh, overcoming your fear right um to to really get to that that real work the ego work because like you pointed out too Ty is uh, there is a fine line between confidence and 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 just self self love and 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 then it becomes an issue. How do you, um, as a CEO, continue to check your ego on a daily basis? Like, where do you find your power in leadership? You mentioned some of the pillars that you found to success from 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 other books um, and other mentors. What has Ty defined as, I guess, your personal mission statement? Yeah, for me, my goal is that everyone that comes across in my life that I help them reach the best version of themselves. So. I think of that in everything I do, if you think about it, it all comes from the beginning of serving. Um, serving is the real reward. That's the difference or that's the real opportunity. Your ability to serve in any capacity on this earth while you're walking on it. And we get this life once, so you may as well live it to its fullest. And for me, living it to its fullest is helping as many people as I can. So for me, servant leadership is just the only way to operate that I always start people first. 
um, people first being my my membership or customer base, mm-hmm. people first being my employees, people first being my own family. Um, one of the things I always laugh at, you ever, <laughs> I, I don't know, Kev, do you have, you have family? You have kids? I just had a son. So I, when you okay. said Similac, I was like, oh, I know that those bottles all too often, Ty. <laughs> all right. So here's something I want you to think about. And this, you're going to see this in your own life. So um, you're at your house later. Someone brings over their kid. Their kid's five years old. He's running around the house, running around the house, running around the house. And he inadvertently hits this vase and your, your, your uh, furniture falls over and it breaks. First thing you say is what? Oh, don't, don't worry about it, yeah. right? Like, no, no worries. It's just a face. We'll clean up. Now, go back to your own kid. Your own kid's five years. For five years, that kid's run around, run around, run around, never broke this vase. Finally breaks that vase, and you yell at them. Like, yeah. what are you doing? You got to be more careful. Why do we treat strangers better than we do our family? Yeah. Like, you got to start asking yourself those type of questions. Like, why are we so short with our family when they make the same mistakes that we would be like, oh, don't worry about it? If it was a friend or a coworker, I know that so, with my wife too. Same, same, yeah. same exact yeah. thing. Yeah, all the time. And and it was that realization that, and holding yourself super accountable, looking at yourself in the mirror, and going, "Man, I'm I got to do better." You know, I'm a better dad with my second kid than my first kid. Um, I walked in the house the other day, and we were about to. It was really like two nights before we went on vacation, and my daughters were sitting there with my wife, and they were like staring at her. I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, we asked mom to use three words to describe each of us and she's struggling. Um, and they said, but you know, you know, can you? And I just gave them my three words and they're like, like you're really spot on, they thought. And they gave me theirs and it was pretty similar. And there were things I was really, really proud of and myself. So I didn't even realize that they noticed that about me. Um, so I think that's where it comes from. It, it's just I believe that I can learn something from every single person I come across. Me too. Whether it's the homeless guy on the street, whether it's um, the waitress at the diner up the road, whether it's the guy who's cleaning the windows and doors of our offices every day during COVID. I just know there's something they know that I can learn from. And I want to make sure I'm open to hearing it. Um, I don't like making mistakes. I don't think anyone likes making mistakes. The one thing I'm proud of is that when I do make a mistake and I acknowledge I make a mistake, it makes me proud because I realize that I'm still open. I'm still able and willing to acknowledge and notice that I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, um, just because I'm the boss doesn't mean I'm right, you know? Yeah. And it means I'm learning something new. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm pretty proud of that. I think yeah. that's great. That's really important. Well, I think that's given visions that competitive advantage because I think that you empower, you coach, right? The back to the training uh, or sports analogy is that if you're not coaching them and they can't like do it without you being in the room, then, then what's the point? And, and I know that's been like your definitive competitive advantage in, in that market, not only in the Southern tier, but also beyond that. And I think that you're inspiring because your mission as, as Visions FCU is to, to best serve your, your customer base by doing so, you're taking care of your employees so they can do that on a daily basis. One of the yeah. things you mentioned in today's interview, but also your other podcast, Ty, and I don't want to miss out on the opportunity to ask you this question because I think a lot of people have gone through the same evolution during the pandemic. And I went through my evolution because I was surrounded myself with other people that pulled out and told me my strengths. Like your daughters were asking their one words. 
you talked about it in the other podcast that you were on and I wanted to ask you about it today. How important is that? If, cause a lot of people are soul searching right now, right? It can be daunting to try to find yourself. I have found it more beneficial with friends like Tyler to help me find my strengths and identify what makes me unique and different. Do you want to touch on that? Because I know you said that was a key contribution to your success as well. Yeah. You know, I think COVID was, um, you know, if you remember, I'm an extrovert, right, Kevin? Like, you know, I get my energy from people. I get, it was a real tough time to go through COVID, just like everyone else. And you're kind of isolated. Um, I kind of did the same mistake I think most CEOs did. When COVID came, I really doubled down. I, I didn't leave the office. I worked harder, um, didn't take vacation. I just grinded out. And then I got to the end of the year and I had nothing. My, my tank was empty, right? My creativity was gone. My, um, and I think that's what we do, right? We try to double down um, on, on what we're doing. And instead, that's when you actually need to let go more, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's almost counterintuitive, right? It's like when you're driving with a trailer, you have to do everything in reverse of what you would normally do to make the trailer go what you want to do. Yeah. And after a while, it becomes normal um, after you've been there for a while. So for me, during COVID, I just realized ultimately that um, I had to rely on my team. I had to rely on others. Um, I had to give them permission to um, be weak around me as well as I need to be weak around them. Um, And that actually is a strength, right? I I think sometimes in the era that we grew up in and we were raised in that sometimes we confuse the two um but being vulnerable is probably one of your greatest strengths if you could do it at the right moment to connect um for me i actually had lost a nephew during covid um from a drug overdose you know it's it's funny because like it's very odd um because if there was no covid like he probably would have been with someone instead of in a room by himself Mm -hmm. and i remember like the time that i was somewhat relieved for him because you know he literally passed away eating skittles and watching tv you know yeah (laughs) and you start sitting there thinking about you know one of the things you start talking about in leadership is your legacy right and i've often tried to avoid legacy how how will they talk about you um, on your 80th birthday you know type of scenarios but i do think that you want to be that person that the stories are told about the the times you suddenly were there when they didn't expect you Mm-hmm. or how you always seem to timely have the right story or joke at the right time mm-hmm. or check in on them at the right time or the little call you made for them to help them get the job that they weren't supposed to know about that they found about later. Yeah. So I think those are all the little things, you know, I I'm famous for literally just stopping into random shops and stores, uh, just talk to them. They have no clue. I am <laughs> find out what their problem is. And then I try to solve their problem for them. Um, and later, you know, three, four, five years later, you'll see some type of weird post about like these tie stories. Um, I had a, a former employee um, text me uh, this morning saying that he's out in Idaho um, and they're sharing tie stories. And oh that's, that's where it's really, that's the real richness, right? Yeah. That's the tapestry of this leadership game. And um, that's what makes you proud when you're mm-hmm. sitting there. Yeah. You know, that you want to be full of all these uh, unique little stories and not for story's sake, but because you're really there trying to solve a problem at the time. Yeah. But 
And um, I think you're you being vulnerable, right? I, I you learn of a lot of CEOs, and it's a very it's a it's a tough position to be in, right? I mean, you're there to serve the employees, you're there to drive the business, and you being on the finance side, I find it even more not comical but ironic, right? Uh, finance yeah. people are not the feel good people. Typically, they like things <laughs> black and white, right? It's like, yeah. nope, this is what it is. Um, and and I think that you've identified it, but. I think the ability to tap in for organizations to tap into their innovation or creativity of their own people is to admit that they don't know everything, right? To, to yep. show that vulnerability. And sometimes CEOs say it's a form of weakness, right? We're trying to act confident, but during the pandemic, when shit's going south, we can't yep. act like shit's going south. We have to say everything's fine, even though right behind me, there's a five, five alarm fire, but it doesn't sound, sounds like you're one of those people, Ty, and I know this for a fact that you are, is that you get out of the ivory tower. You go and sit down with your people in the call center to understand what they're going through on a daily basis. How much better of a leader has it helped you to get out in the community and build and, and maintain these relationships, like you said, with these new hires? How much better has that made you or a well-rounded leader? I think that's really the secret sauce. Um, uh, it's hard, right? Because you don't think you've changed, <laughs> but you've changed, right? You know, um, they see you different. So that's the change that, you know, when I was a CFO, I was still being a leader. I just, I wasn't the CEO, yeah. but people looked at me like the CEO. So you just start, but it started with my ability to connect with people and listen to people and really get to the root of what they're trying to say. Um, that's a skill set too, right? being able to hear what they're really saying. Mm-hmm. How many times do you find that people are having a problem articulating why they're unhappy? Um, but when you can listen to it and you can help pinpoint it, that's the real gift. Um, but I, I think that that's really just the root of confidence though. So mm-hmm. no matter where you get to it, if you're not confident, you, you can't afford the space to show people that you don't understand something or, um, I mean, there's times, you know, we're going to war. I don't think it's the best time to be like, oh my God, guys, I don't know what we're going to do. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's the one time you might have to fake it until you make it. Like, you gotta, yeah, we're going to win this. Like, cause they yeah. need to know that you're going to win this. But when you have the ability to, to show, show that vulnerability or style, uh, I, I think it's, it's worthwhile. I think sometimes I feel like in general, I feel like I have 90% of the solution or accuracy of being right. Mm-hmm. Um, so someone might have a problem that comes in this either a little bit better or a little bit worse. I always say, give it, let all their solution. Yeah. Um, because they'll own it, you know? Yeah. And um, so it's really owning up, you know, one of the books I'm reading right now is called um, Extreme Ownership. It's about like Navy SEALs and how they finish the mission. And then after that, no matter what their rank is, they all criticize each other or what was the opportunity to be better. Um, and I think that's really interesting, regardless of the level in that troop, that, that squad, that they're all equally accountable. And I just thought, how do you build that? It's, it's a hard thing to manage through, mm-hmm. especially when we were going through this culture change. You know, I'd walk into a meeting and say, okay, what are we going to do? And everyone would stop and just stare at me because mm-hmm. they're waiting for me to tell them what we were going to do. Wow. Um, because that's the way my predecessor uh, had to work for himself. Um, and it probably worked really well, um, but it, it wouldn't work now in this Not era. This, right? No. Um, and I think that was, you know, one of those moments where you're just sitting there like, well, how do I get them comfortable? Like, so you have to think, right? You're saying, okay, I want an innovative culture. Mm-hmm. Well, then you can't be punitive when we fail, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes you have to figure out, well, what happens when this happens? 
Mm -hmm. um, so I'll give you one example. We had something kind of go bad. It was in regard to a loan. Um, it was really bad news. It was just like, man, like we hit, we had like three opportunities to, to avoid the situation that we kind of failed on. Um, and the uh, leadership, the senior VP and the VP uh, set up a meeting to walk me through it. Um, you know, inside I was, you know, inside you, were, I was kind of mad. Or yeah, upset. of course. Um, and, you know, they left. And then about 15 minutes later, I walked in my office and I found each of them to thank them for telling me. So I thought about it because I thought about, I didn't want them to, if you're really upset at them whenever they tell you something bad, you're kind of saying, don't tell me anything exactly. bad, right? Exactly. So how do you how do you get that environment that they're as quickly going to tell you something good as they're going to tell you something bad? And, safety, you know, psychological safety. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you remain consistent? Right. That's the other thing that's really hard for your staff. If you come in really happy, the next day you come in really sad. Yeah. But I really try to stay in one level um, all the time with them. But for me, I think it really surprised them that I went and I found both and I thanked them for telling me really bad news. But yeah. Um, do you feel like that's the only way that you can get better though? Yeah, I do. I, I do. Um, and, but for me, I would say, I don't know that I failed, but I felt that I missed an opportunity when they left. And that's why I went and sought them out. Because mm -hmm. I was just inside, just thinking about all these other things, thinking about how is it going to affect me? How am I going to tell my board? How am I going to like the income bottom line and having to report that and show the impact and, my results not being where I was, and we we're so close to having a record year. And then I thought about, you know, those things were important. What was important wow. is two of my leaders found out they their team didn't do something they wanted. They, they had the opportunity to fix it. They're quantifying it, but it's bad news, and we're going to have an impact, but we can make sure we, this won't happen again. And that was the real story. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't have to seek them out. They sought me out to let mm -hmm. me know. And they should be applauded and rewarded as equally as if they walked in and told me some really good news. That's um, it's hard to do though in the moment. Yeah. You know, in the moment you're kind of like you can't help but be human. Um, but you know, give yourself that three count and then try to get back in there. That's powerful. It. All right. Yeah. Well, I got one question as we're wrapping up here. Um, yeah. You you mentioned right? We we. Want to learn? Actually, I got two more questions. We'll make them. We'll make them quick. But everybody kind of puts the CEO, and I know your your life is pretty much out there. Your employees know that you have your daughters, and your family is very important to you, and you you enjoy vacations, but you also enjoy delivering for them, right? Yeah. Um, you guys have messages around your building about innovation, about creativity, about um, speaking up, right? Um, but everybody wants to know a little personal something about their CEO. Um, what is, um, I know you have a book idea in your head. If you were to write a book, Ty, what is the book going to be about and what would the title be? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, a lot of people ask me to write a leadership book. Um, I just feel like there's so many out there that um, I'm, I've chosen not to do it, even though I get regularly requested um, by writers as well as uh, other leaders to, to do or contribute to one. Um, but the book I think is inside of me is Dear Daughter. I've always wanted to write a book to my daughters wow. about being a dad. And as you go through, you'll see this now for yourself. There's so many times you're going to fail. <laughs> you <Yeah. know>? <laughs> <laughs> and you just want them to understand what was on your mind at the time. And, um, and it's just that moment of just saying, look, you know, I'm, I'm your dad, but 
here are all the things that are why you're great. Um, and it's also just seeing so many uh, kids who don't have that father figure that I've mm -hmm. kind of felt the void for them. Mm -hmm. um, that I just think that it'd be good for them to hear all the things that I hear in the back of my head that my parents told me. You know, remember I told you they lied to me and told me I could do anything and I believe them. Well, these kids don't have that. And I want to make sure, you know, the, I was really thinking I'd write the book for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I started realizing so many other females and as a, as a person who advocates for women in particular um, could use that. They could mm -hmm. use that voice, um, just reminding them why they're fantastic and they're great and they're leaders and uh, they should be bosses and they should oh, yeah. renegotiate their contracts. Oh, yeah. they should, I'll, I'll uh, sit on that soapbox with you, Ty, yeah. all day because I just think that equity, that DE and I, that yeah. everybody's chasing, you can't, you can't start without equity first that we can even yep. pay men and women the exact same. Last That's question funny. for you. Everybody knows everything about Ty, probably their <laughs> visions, right? But what is one thing that they do not know about Ty? You know, um, I can't sing, not a lick. I, I can't hold a tune. I can <laughs> dance. I can move. I'm blessed with almost every other feature, man. But, you know, <laughs> whatever reason, God decided that that was the one uh, that you wouldn't give me. And, and the funniest part is uh, I just love music. And yeah, I mean, I, I sing so poorly that when I'm singing by myself in the car, sometimes I stop. I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. Um, I had an opportunity this summer to kind of, again, as I told you, I'm trying to meet more of my idols. So I got to golf with Chris Tucker. and Oh, my gosh. Uh, how cool is that? That was really cool. And then, because um, I believe comedians, how they how they capture a room so quickly and connect and communicate. Mm -hmm. It's a skill set that I, I think you could use as a leader. Um, and then uh, cool in the gang, you know, so um, I've been kind of, I've been kind of living a, a great summer dream, summer of dreams uh, this year starting with the Dr. J person kind of working my way through. That's so. amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And Tyler and I were learning so much. He had to drop off because he was continuing that trip from Batavia. He was like, let Ty know he's like the coolest guy I've met yet. No, but no that's what we've learned from this podcast and from great leadership like yourself. It's like, you don't have to lead. You don't have to be a leader by title, right? You can lead your own life. You can lead your family. And, 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 and when leadership gets better, our communities get better at the same time. And, and I think sometimes people wait to be leaders until they're given that title, but it's something that you've carried along since, since the track and field days and, and the, on the basketball court. Uh, Tyler, I just wanted, or Tyler, Tyler and I just really wanted to thank you, Ty, for, for yeah. accepting to be on this show with us. Of course. Um, of you're one of those, like I said, those near and dear mentors of mine from the Southern tier, just seeing somebody that brought in a new perspective of what leadership and what a role of a CEO could be and how to really empower the rest of their employees to get behind that mission um, and really lead to, lead to some innovative things, but also enable their success, whatever their true definition of success is. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show with us today. I'm super proud of you. Um, you know, in a quick passing, you were memorable. Um, it's a, it, and I applaud you. I, I'm excited that you are having these discussions. Um, it's really, really important that we share. As I said, that's really the real gift, right? Um, it, life isn't meant to be kind of kept in a box. You, you should be sharing this knowledge. And um, you made it super fun. I love the format. Uh, I can't wait to listen to all your other podcasts in the future. I'm wishing you continued success and, and all the following in the world. Uh, followership is big. So keep yeah. doing what you're doing. I'm really proud of you. 
Thank you, Ty. I appreciate it. And uh, next time Tyler and White and I are traveling through Binghamton, we know exactly who we're taking out for some speedy. So <laughs> Sounds great. looking forward to it. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Ty. You have a great day. And thanks again for being on the show. All right. Take it easy. All right.